The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Welcome to the RPGBot.Podcast. Podcast. I be floating in the astral sea, and with me is Tyler Kamstra. Hi, everybody. And Ashley Lai. Yar. And I'm Mother Randall James. Tyler, what are we doing tonight? Well, today we're going to talk about Spelljammer, Adventures in Space. So this was a highly anticipated supplement uh, setting expansion for 5th edition. People have been asking for this basically since 5th edition hit shelves. This is one of the classic settings that came out in 2nd edition, was a huge hit, and never made the transition to 3rd edition. So finally having Spelljammer back on the lineup, very exciting. Absolutely. So the the book set just released, what comes in the book set? Well, it comes in this handy little box set. So you get a poster map and you'll get three small books. So it's the Astral Adventures Compendium, which is all of your character options and rules and stuff. Boo's Monstrous Menagerie? I think that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Boo's Astral Menagerie. Sorry. Which is the Book of Monsters with a hamster on the cover. And then a short adventure called The Light of... Cerixis. Uh It's got X's and there's no pronunciation guide, so I'm guessing. The, the light of all the X's. Uh, it's actually, <laughs> it's, it's spelled like, it's almost spelled like Gary Gygax, but then they, rela- they replaced a bunch of consonants with X, and now I have no idea what's happening. <laughs> yeah. Garrixus. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Simple way to make a, langu- make a word more alien is just to add a bunch of X's to it. <laughs> eventually it's just a triple, uh, uh, a triple, it's a, eventually... Eventually, it's just a Vin Diesel movie. <laughs> cool. We got there eventually. Oh, no. Now Dan's going to leave it in. <laughs> Two minutes into the podcast, already making Vin Diesel jokes. All right. Uh, so let's start where I always like to start, with the character options, which... I think that's what a lot of people are here for. So we got two new backgrounds for Spelljammer, and we got six new races. Now, if you've been following our coverage of the recent Unearthed Arcana documents, you've noticed that feats being included in backgrounds is absolutely a thing. And here we go. The first time in a, like, physical, you can have it in your hands, this background gives you a feat. Weirdly, they no longer give you traits, ideals, bonds, and flaws, which one of our discord folks had to point out to me because I scrolled right past it and didn't even notice. Cause usually I'm like, ah, yes, there's the obligatory table and I will reference this if I ever use this background. But yeah, those are conspicuously not there. Interesting. Yeah. Which is unfortunate because I feel like that's a great way to help you quickly put together that background and make it meaningful. Yeah. I wonder, I wonder what the feedback from people are. Like, do people look at those tables and say like, ah, that's great. I'm going to ignore it now. Or, (laughs) you know, are folks actually going to miss them? Uh, Tell you what, uh, let's, let's play a mean game. What is uh, your character in our Icewind Dale campaign? What's his ideal? Yeah, there you go. (laughs) (laughs) Even in that game for like a year, none of us can remember. Yeah, Yeah, because it turns out like the thing about 
personality traits, bonds, flaws, and ideals are there. I think they're a good starting point if you have no idea about what kind of character you want to do, especially if you like you're a new player. But after that, people just kind of use those as like prompts, and then they build their character from there. And then the traits, ideals, bonds, flaws never really come up again. Which is why, like, I kind of laugh when the DMG says you should consider awarding inspiration when someone. Uh, uh, works in a way that uh, interacts with their flaw or their ideal. I'm like, but we never use those. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I agree. Like, it's a it's a great way to quickly define a character's personality. But with, uh, I mean, that's great for NPCs because like they're going to be on screen essentially for like five or ten minutes. But for characters that you can play through the whole campaign, not always a wonderful tool. Anyway, we also got six new races. We talked about these in the Unearthed Arcana for Spelljammer a while ago, and honestly, there wasn't a ton of changes. Um, the Astral Elf, like, one of their traits got dropped, and their trance got a tweak, but otherwise not much. The Gift the gift got a kind of bigger rework. I think they work a lot better. Their weird damage thing that didn't really work got replaced with essentially the Goblin's damage boost. Um, everything else stayed mostly the same aside from some minor wording changes. I am a little bit disappointed with the Astral Elf because it seems like uh, this is just a Ladrin, just flavored differently. <laughs> uh. In a way, yeah. Like they kind of joined that club of like, we're the three extra planar versions of elves. We all teleport and also have a little spice on there. Yeah, and that's it. <laughs> um, am, I'm excited. Am I making them. it up? Was it the case that like the GIF couldn't pilot? Uh, spell jammers in the ua or was that historically true historically that is true gif could not cast spells and the one thing you need to fly a spell jammer is you need the ability to cast spells so there was like that venn diagram is two independent circles of gif and spell jammers okay but... no such restriction this time around correct cool okay awesome one of the things uh, that i did appreciate about gif was their little aside that they did little joke about how people their people can't decide whether their their races said with a hard G or a soft G. <laughs> I Much think like the moving image uh, <laughs> file. <laughs> that is the joke. Yeah. Um, for the rest of the episode, I'm going to do my best to oscillate between GIF and GIF. I think they would appreciate that. <laughs> Although for the graphics interface format, uh, this has already been settled because the author of the format specified exactly what it was when he named it (laughs) (laughs) so hey let's talk about spell jammers the boats because i think that's gonna get a lot of play here like beyond the races which you can take anywhere if you're gonna play spell jammer you're gonna spend a lot of time on a spell jammer which is just what they call the space boats it's also what they call the pilots so that's not gonna get confusing at all (laughs) on the slightest i'm one with the ship and the ship is one with me No, okay, so I want to ask uh, both of you what I think is a fun question. What is a Spelljammer ship? Tyler, you want to take this one first? Uh, quick, Dan, put in some Jeopardy music here while I think about it. <laughs> <laughs> quick, we're going to d- get DMCA'd. Uh, all right, so... so... <laughs> Basically, a Spelljammer ship is a ship with a Spelljammer helm in it. A spelljammer helm is not a not a hat like the helm of a ship. It's essentially a fancy chair that you sit in, and the spelljammer helm is what gives the ship the ability to 
spell jam, like to move between the astral sea and wild space and to travel at exceptionally fast speeds. If you don't have that spell jammer helm, the ship can, in theory, still move, but like it has a move speed of like 30 or 40 feet. So it's basically like walking in space, which I don't know if you've ever tried to walk to the moon, but it takes a while. Yeah, I still haven't gotten there yet. So <laughs> what you're saying is the spell jamming ship is piloted by a spell jammer using a spell jammer helm so that the spell jammer can spell jam. Yes. Oh, you got it. That is exactly <laughs> what I'm saying. Yeah. Okay. So you, you threw some concepts out there, and, and I think it's probably like worth laying out. Okay. So there's kind of an idea of what we think would think of as a star system, and surrounding that system is the wild space. Wild space is a vacuum. There's no air to breathe. When you enter it, you enter it with a little bit of air around you, enough to last a minute. If you're on a larger vessel, like a spell jammer, uh, there's enough for like 120 days, and there's good rules for like the air going from like okay to kind of bad to everybody dies, uh, and we don't have to get into the details of that. Uh, you can enter this wild space, and you're going to be good to go. Once you leave that system, you kind of cross the bubble into the astral sea, which is the other half of the astral plane. So the astral plane is composed of a bunch of wild spaces, which have these systems in them, and then the astral sea where time doesn't pass, uh, you're technically breathing, but you don't really need to because, like, there's no time. There's nothing. You don't need to eat. You don't need to, you know, you don't need any of this. So you're going to be perfectly fine in it. Uh, And that's where things get weird. So, yeah, like you were talking about the Spelljammer, for instance, like, yeah, like your your move speed sucks if you don't have a Spelljamming helm. If you have a Spelljamming helm, you can move a hundred million miles in 24 hours. Which sounds like whoa that's a crazy amount of distance but in the astral plane where like distance is functionally meaningless i sure go as fast as you want man you're traveling at the speed of plot at that point yeah um and there are ways that could it could potentially be abused uh, as colby has want to show uh but <laughs> One of the things that I found really fascinating about spell jammers is that they create their own gravity plane. It's never really explained how. It's just like they have gravity. Stop thinking about it. <laughs> um, uh, and so they would. So like, it has a gravity plane that cuts through the middle of the spell jamming ship. So there are some spell jamming ships that have lower decks where you're essentially walking upside down because the gravity plane shifts once you get past that line of gravity. You can still fall off of a ship, and uh, if you do, you start going towards the edge of the uh, air envelope uh, that surrounds your, surrounds your ship. And then it gets really complicated <laughs> once we're talking about ships that have different gravities and different air envelopes and crashing together. Oh, God. <laughs> I loved that so much because, like, now we're solving for the equation of a line at the intersection of two planes, and like, that—that's my jam. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I, I want to call. <laughs> um, I, I want to call this out because I thought it was like such a funny sentence to find in the rules. So they're describing gravity, and they describe gravity as an accommodating force. And I'm trying to think <laughs> through my fundamental forces. Like, what? What was an accommodating force? I don't remember that one. Oh, it—it uh, it is. It goes in the direction uh, that seems to be that which is most convenient. Yep. <laughs> yeah, it really is. There is an up and down in space, apparently. 
<laughs> Which, I mean, honestly, they're thinking of the, the DMs. Let's be yeah. honest. <laughs> if we had to do a zero gravity all the time, it would be a nightmare. Yeah. yeah, they do have rules for traveling in zero gravity. If you have a swim speed or a fly speed, it's a lot easier. So if you're playing a Triton in space, you're basically flying. Or you could play one of the new monkey cre- uh, creatures. Those are very cool. That's true, <laughs> but it is only falling with style. That is true. <laughs> now, you can't do these absurd things where you ram a spelljammer into the deck of another spelljammer at a perpendicular angle, and as soon as the two spelljammers touch, you figure out which one's gravity works, or, like, which one's wins, and either your entire crew rapidly boards the other ship, or the crew of the other ship flies off into space. Either way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> Bring Featherfall, folks, <laughs> to space. Also, apparently, your air bubble, the quality of the air, changes depending on where which uh, which object is larger. So, if you come across a dead, like a derelict ship that's bigger than you, suddenly you're now suffocating. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that was real. Like, so we talked about three stages. So you could have the best air possible, and then you just touch the bubble of this dead ship, and now your air is literally unbreathable. Uh, the best part of that, though, you move um, five feet back, air's breathable again. <laughs> well, okay, so I'm going to keep my ship the uh, Mamma Jamma Spell Jamma, and I'm going to keep it away from the ship SS We Microwave Fish, and I'm just going to keep those two far away from each other. Yeah, fish wrapped in broccoli. Ugh, ugh. That is, yeah, I'm sorry, Kim, I, didn't, that, folks. I, I, I didn't mean to do that. <laughs> One of the cool things, so so we, we distinguished between the Astral Sea and the Wild Space. Once you're in the Astral Sea, you as an individual can propel yourself with thought. Yeah, and that's been a thing in, like, D&D canon forever, even before Spelljammer. In the Dungeon Master's Guide, it specifies you move a speed based on your intelligence. So, like, if you're a wizard and you get to the Astral Sea, you are just cooking super fast if you're that eight intelligence barbarian and you get to the astral sea like uh, dude hitch a ride with that wizard because it's gonna take you a while yeah it's like your melee guys just can't get in combat it's like i can't get there and the wizard's like i'm just gonna run away faster than they can close on me (laughs) probably one of the reasons why only spellcasters can maneuver spell jamming ships but um yeah no (laughs) if you're a barbarian Hit your head on a spell jammer. You shouldn't be going by yourself. <laughs> okay. I, I want to bring up my favorite thing about being a spell jammer, the man, not a spell jammer, the thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you were, uh, you know, spell jammer, the person sitting in the helm, somebody else can put a helm, a second helm on your ship. And there's yes. a spell to do this. It's a fifth level spell. Um, and it's very expensive to do, but I cast that spell and I turn my lawn chair into a helm on the deck of your ship, we now get to have a spell jamming duel for controlling your ship. Okay? Mm -hmm. Whoever loses, roll a d4, take that many levels of exhaustion. Yeah, it's rough. (laughs) It's awesome. It is, and it it's a constitution check, with their, which there are very, very few of in 5e, so that's kind of neat. So, yeah, I hope you've got a high constitution wizard on board. Um, also, the Spelljammer helms are portable. Like, it is a portable chair, which means you can take the Spelljamming helm 
off of a ship to disable it. Alternatively, if you have a spare, you can walk that onto the, onto the other person's ship, surprise them with that spelljammer duel, and just like have that be part of your boarding party. Yep. <laughs> oh man, that would work. Oh no, you have to attune. To, you have oh. to attune. Mm-hmm. Well, but you oh you lose your attunement if mm-hmm. you lose the spell jamming duel, um, which I can maybe to a different point though. If you are attuned, you can touch someone else, and now they're the person attuned. <laughs> so you you can essentially do that. It's like the con is yours. <laughs> it's like, I'm not ready for this. I have no constitution. I'm gonna die. <laughs> yeah, I do like the idea visually of a, of a bunch of you know salty pirates jumping onto a ship and then you know the fancy wizard just coming in placing the chair down in the middle while there's a fight going on so you know i'm like all right let's do this you ass (laughs) (laughs) Uh, like i'm imagining a really like think of it almost like uh um i think we're gonna do an episode sometime soon on complex traps but i can imagine creating something that's something between a skill challenge and a complex trap where it's like you have to navigate your way out of the situation you're in where some big bad is going to be like trying to eat the entire ship while simultaneously somebody is is performing a spell jamming duel from the bottom of the ship what are you what is the party going to focus on <laughs> yeah jeez uh, i think those only take a mi- how long does that take i don't know it takes plot duration yeah in in this case i think that's right so we're going to ask a question you've got your spaceship where are you gonna go? So, one of the really cool things about driving a spell jammer is navigating it is very easy because the astral sea doesn't operate on conventional understanding of geometry and movement and direction. Your spell jammer will just take you wherever you want to go. And sometimes it can be vague. And this is specifically called out in the books. Like, one of the examples is take me to the nearest Gith Yankee stronghold. And that's just a thing you can do. So you don't need to know anything about where this place is or what it is or who is there. It will just, your ship will just do its best to take you wherever. Now, the caveat there, though, is that it takes you on the most direct path. And it's up to the DM to decide how dangerous that path is. So knowledge is still power. It'd be great to know that that's going to take you through like an asteroid field that's going to slow you down. Or there's pirates waiting to capture you. Also, the other thing to note is that the astral sea and the systems in it are constantly shifting. So uh, one of the things is that if you leave your wild space system, it may not be in the exact same coordinates when you want to come back. So uh, it can it kind of is up to DM Fiat at that point. It's like, oh, it only took us like you know this many days to get to from our wild space system to here and we want to go back it's like dm can say well now it's going to take you a month because <laughs> it's shifted so it it is a lot of uh, freedom for the dm to sort of adjust travel times as they see fit like a lot of a lot of freedom for encounters and like just travel design that you don't really get a lot in most dnd settings because space is so nebulous so let's talk a little bit about some setting information that we got in the books. So there's exactly one location detailed in this entire three-book set. It's this place called the Rock of Brawl, and I don't know enough about Spelljammer's history to know if this is a pre-existing location, but it, it seems is. pretty neat. It is? Okay, cool. 
So if you're a longtime spell jammer, th- this is where you get to, you know, push up your glass and be like, I know more than the RPG bot. And hey, <laughs> tell me things. I'm curious. But for the rest of us, this is a pretty cool location. It's basically a large, mostly flat asteroid city on top farms and prisons and stuff on the bottom and it like formerly a space pirate hangout turned economic hub think like sydney australia in space yeah that sounds about right (laughs) so it's i mean it's a cool location it's a great quest hub the the setting information is detailed enough that you can come up with a lot of quest hooks based on this location, but it's not so overwhelming that you're like, oh man, I've got to memorize a 300-page book for just this one city. It's it's not like you're, you're Absalom or something where you're expected to know all of this stuff because your players want to know. You can just kind of fill in the gaps on your own. I am curious, did you guys have any favorite spell jamming ships? Because there are a lot of them. I kind of like the squid one, like the nautiloid. Oh, uh, no, squid, squid. there actually was a yeah, squid. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like it's it's got squid tentacles pointed forward as a <laughs> battering ram, and I'm just like, that seems incredibly impractical. I love it. <laughs> I mean, most of these are impractical. That's true. So the one that I really liked, uh, we talked about uh, air quality when you're in wild space, and the fact that right air goes bad in the astral sea. You don't have to worry about that so much. Uh, one of the ships, it's called the Living Ship, uh-huh. has a treant on top of it, which does two things. Replenishes the air automatically, and also, after a long rest, uh, repairs the ship, because the treant is literally part of the Living Ship and is, like, reconstructing it as you fly. Thematically, I thought that'd be a lot of fun. Like, you've got, you know, a couple druids who have taken a few other people on board to solve some problem, and that's the party. Um, and one of the characters, like, as a as a DM, I always look for the voice of the DM. So having the treant essentially be the voice of the DM, because once you're on world, I can't help you. And like when we're in combat, I can help a bit, but not a lot. Is <laughs> a lot of fun. Uh, the other caveat that was kind of cool there: when the treant dies, the ship is still functional, but you can never replace the treant. So it's basically just a ship flying through space with a dead tree attached to it. <laughs> Oof. Yeah, it's a sad Just feeling. a constant reminder of your failure. Yeah, uh, basically. It's a creature. I, uh, you, can raise de- you can raise dead your ship. Yeah, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, why not? <laughs> Even better. Yeah. <laughs> um, I do want to say, Miranda, you stole mine. <laughs> oh! <laughs> Sorry. Uh, no, you're fine. My second favorite is probably the Nautiloid. Um, yeah. I've always loved... Nautiloids, um, and it's cool to see them integrate it in uh, in a way that uh, is similar to like my biggest real. I'm 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 kind of a fresh newbie, so my biggest real knowledge of a Nautiloid in action was from Baldur's Gate Three, the newest game that's uh, out, and it's cool to sort of see them integrate that pretty faithfully from what the developers uh, uh wrote for the nautiloid like it has those tentacles that hit people and teleports them onto the ship or uh they can you can just change planes of existence when you want which really calls out to the mind flare sort of ability of plane shift um and yeah i just think 
there's just something very cool. Uh, and I think if you're going to be playing a Spelljammer game, you got to have a fight against a Nautiloid at some point. <laughs> Mind, fl- Mind Flayers and the Astral Sea go hand in hand. That second, maybe only to Githyanki. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And like a lot of the ships have custom features, but as far as the custom features go, the fact that, yeah, like you mentioned, uh, I can literally uh, bring all creatures and objects aboard to a different plane of existence. And that's not a spell jamming capability. That is a capability of the ship itself. Like yeah. that's, that's such a cool feature that whether you're looking for a plot point, like, well, why are we leaving the Astral Sea in this campaign? Maybe we got dragged there and we don't want to be here and we have to get out. Yeah, and that's really it's that's what's really cool about Nautiloids and something they do at the beginning of Baldur's Gate three. It's not really a spoiler because it's like right at the beginning, but in order to escape the Githyanki, the ship that you're on, which is a Nautiloid, the Mind Flayer first transports out of the Sword Coast to hell. <laughs> it goes to hell, um, and so you're fighting Githyanki, Mind Flayers, and demons to escape, and then you transport yourself back to. Uh, uh, back back to the prime material plane. So it's and it's a very good level two. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I have no well, level one. That's all yeah. level one. Can you imagine Jeez. an actual game beginning that like that? That's it's <laughs> crazy. I, I love the idea. Of, it's like we have to get out of here. Think of somewhere else to go. And the bird, don't think of hell. Don't think of hell. Don't think. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of weird weird stuff you'll find in space, let's talk about weird creatures you'll find in space. Yes. <laughs> So there are stats for both giant hamsters and miniature giant space hamsters. Love it. Miniature giant space hamsters are intelligent and telepathic and CR a quarter, which means they are more dangerous than hyenas. Okay, so explain that to me. I mean, okay, I don't remember exactly what it was, right? But their main attack is bite. Okay, it's got plus seven to hit, and that's fantastic. Do you remember how much damage it deals if the miniature giant space hamster lands a bite? Like one. Literally one HP. No die. <laughs> one HP. Uh, but they have, a, and I, want, I was trying to think of the name. I'm pretty sure it was literally go for the eyes. It is. Uh, where <laughs> they bite you in the eye, and on success and then a, a, a saving throw failure, the creature is blinded. So uh, a little bit of nerd trivia for you guys. The go for the eyes and the name Boo Mm -hmm. are both references to uh, a hamster companion that one of your companions had in Baldur's Gate 1. And one of he had he had this little pet hamster named Boo, and he would constantly say, "Go for the eyes, Boo! Go for the eyes!" (laughs) So it's cute that they have these references in here. I love it. Yeah, I, I always kind of wondered, like, because Minsk would talk about Boo being a miniature giant space hamster, which sounds absurd, and you eventually <laughs> find out that Minsk has a traumatic brain injury. So you're like, this guy might be outright nuts. Like, <laughs> unreliable like, narrator. Yeah, unreliable narrator, yeah. has a bit of brain damage, good guy, doing the right things, fighting bad guys, but a little, like traumatic brain injury yeah <laughs> so you're never quite sure and this kind of ruins the mystery honestly because like no the they're real and they are smart and they are telepathic and they will bite your eyes i mean it's kind of funny because it just basically proves that everybody thought minsk was crazy like that's your yeah. giant space answer this guy's a wackadoo <laughs> no it turns out he was right the whole time and everybody just thought he was crazy <laughs> I, mean, I, I will say sometimes it's both <laughs> <laughs> so true. So all 
I also noticed that there's a lot of monsters I thought would be in here that aren't. The Digital Monsters Compendium, like they announced that right when they announced Spelljammer, they said, hey, we're going to do this thing where we'll give you free monsters periodically that you can add to this compendium. Volume 1 was Spelljammer Creatures. And I kind of just assumed that they would be in the Monsters Compendium here. Um, And it's not. So like your Astral Lich, your... Uh, asteroids, spider, other spooky things that live in Spelljammer in space. They're not in this book. They are available digitally. I think you can still get it for free digitally on D&D Beyond. Yeah, which isn't to say, so part of the pack is Boo's Astral Menagerie, which is, you know, a, a good set of monsters. It's just kind of funny that around this release, you got both the Digital Monstrous Compendium, which has a good set of monsters for the Astral Plane, and Boo's Astral Menagerie. Yeah, one of the uh, so one thing I have to call out. Um, so, you know, we're all fans of this game called Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> I was excited to see we got two new uh, uh, brands of dragon, species of dragon. I don't know. Species uh, type, whatever. Yeah. Uh, so we have lunar dragons and solar dragons, and they're neat. Yeah. Solar dragons born from a star. Like that's, yeah, that could get epic. <laughs> so let's talk about the adventure real quick. So. I believe I'm the only one who read it because I know you guys didn't want to spoil it for yourselves. So I'm, I'm going to do absolutely no spoilers. So the adventure is called the light of, I I think it's Xerxes. I'm man. I'm guessing there are a lot of X's in that name. There are a lot of X's in the NPCs names in this. So you guys weren't kidding when you said, yeah, make it sound like space by putting X's in names. (laughs) So it starts at level five and runs to Well, you'll finish at level nine. The adventure is divided into four parts, and there's this great blurb right at the beginning that says, this adventure has four parts, each divided into three chapters. Each chapter is designed to be run as a single play experience lasting two to three hours, with the expectation that a group should be able to complete the adventure in 12 sessions of play. So, to the best of my knowledge, this is the first time in 5th edition that we've got an adventure that has explicitly said, like, this is about how long we expect you to get out of playing this adventure, which is really nice, because, like, when you grab Storm King's Thunder or something, it's this huge book. It's like, how long am I going to be playing this? Like, eh, it could be six months, could be five years. Good luck. Who knows? So it's really nice to have this time box and having read through the adventure, like, yeah, they did actually do a pretty good job breaking this up into bite-sized chunks. Every chapter starts and ends with, like, or it starts with a recap of the previous chapter and then ends, like, at a natural story point with some box text that you can read and then say, like, okay, and we'll pick it up next time. Yeah, I think this is fantastic. I, I, I hope this is something that becomes more common or even an idea of, like, okay, it's going to take you at a minimum of this and at a maximum of this, depending on if you make these adventure choices. And then you kind of get an idea, okay, what's optional, what's critical for the adventure? If we skip this part, am I going to ruin the story? Or do we really need to make sure the characters go and have this particular experience? Um, I, I wonder if this is a sign, you know, with the growth of the popularity of 5e, the number of groups who are doing 12-hour Saturday sessions <laughs> versus the number of groups who are doing you know, either after work sessions or late night after the kids have gone to bed sessions. Uh, you know, I feel like there's probably a lot more of those where it's like, okay, I can sit for two to three hours at a time. But if you ask me to have a six hour session, 12 hour session, you know, I sure once a month, that's all I can commit to. You know, is it actually a sign of how the game, you know, is it a sign of 
how the way that the average player is playing the game that they're starting to make these kinds of choices. That's a really good question. I know there's a ton of appeal for these like shorter self-contained adventures like Tales from the Yawning Portal did really well because it all of the adventures are self-contained. Same with Candlekeep. Um, and I know they're they're planning another one uh, for for people listening to this. We're recording this the day of the Wizards Direct where they announced uh, like they have another adventure compendium coming next year. That's going to be a series of one shot heist adventures. So they're definitely appealing to that need for like we just need a short self-contained adventure that we can fit into a nice time box. So the adventure describes itself as campy, over-the-top, absurd, inspired by Flash Gordon. This is very much like your pulp sci-fi. It's a little goofy. Um, It doesn't take itself very seriously. The adventure is very, very linear. So, like, if you're expecting to go on, like, a a far-flung, wide-ranging adventure, like, this isn't that. The story seems kind of fun, but it does really expect the players to just be like, I'm on the plot train. I'm going to follow every plot hook you put in front of me. We're going to have a good time. So one of the things I did read about in a review um, was that uh, this adventure has a lot of contingencies for bad luck and failure. And like if uh, a party like wipes to one of the encounters, then suddenly they find themselves prisoners on a pirate ship or something like that, um, which I thought was kind of cool. Um, you don't see that a lot in 5e adventures it's sort of like well if they failed then they fail good luck if they fail they're dead so (laughs) (laughs) good good luck um so that is cool to see them do something like that if it's true so yeah it that is definitely true there are some parts where they're like the players will be faced with a difficult encounter and there's guardrails if things don't go well for them but there are, are also parts of the adventure where it's like no the game's going to kick you in the teeth and there's nobody coming to rescue you this time. And it's a little hard for the players to know which is which. So if you're listening to this as a player, like don't expect the game to rescue you. It might don't expect it. Um, They also do since the adventure starts at level five, they specify starting equipment, which usually they don't, you get 625 extra gold pieces and one permanent uncommon item, which if you use our wealth by level table, like that's, you should have more stuff than that most likely, but it's nice that they give you that. And they do start throwing magic items at you pretty quickly early in the adventure. So you'll do okay. Yeah. I'm really looking forward to seeing the acquisitions incorporated franchise begin to explore or begin to expand to like wild space. So now I've got like, you know, Amway salesmen's across the astral sea. <laughs> so we better not go here. We got to sail this way. <laughs> they be doing the door to door knocking. <laughs> Should we go over our general thoughts about the whole thing? Yeah, that sounds good. Okay. I'll go first. I am, I am super stoked. I think I am most excited about being part of a party on a ship playing like not a monster of the week, but a planet of the week game, right? Like we go in, we have a session where like we've landed here and we're temporarily stranded and we have to do it. Or like, you know, somebody broke the leg off the helm and now it's not a helm anymore because it's on the ground. (laughs) You know, whatever the case may be, I feel like you could have a fun campaign where there's kind of a common thread, but the, the, the amount of novelty you can bring to every setting as a DM 
without having to live by the consequences of your actions and whatever you introduced on that particular world means that as a DM, you can go wild. Yeah. And so both as a DM and as a player, I'm just super excited to get into this. I, I think I honestly wasn't amazed by this. Like I, I'm usually very positive about the D and D products we get. Like the, the mechanics are okay. There's a whole lot of things that made me scratch my head and just wonder like, why does it work this way? Why does this exist? I think they went for a lot of simplicity and playability, and then there's just some some gaps and things like they they explicitly spell out that you can use mending to repair your spelljammer ship, but they also give you rules for paying an exorbitant amount of money to just very slowly repair your ship. Like, why does that function exist? Like that that does not exist in an internally consistent world. And why are the ships so cheap? 20,000 gold pieces. By level 10, you can, everyone in the party can afford to just buy their own ship. <laughs> we have a fleet. Yeah. No, I mean, okay, I'll say there, though, right? Like, if you're, imagine you're a caster who can use mending. Now your value on the ship has gone tremendously up. Because it's like, oh, oh, are you, you going to pay dock fees? You going to pay dock fees to fix this? <laughs> no. Buy me cheese. <laughs> you work for cheese? Yeah. Uh, I'm going to, uh, you know, we're going to do kind of a monster traces thing. I'm going to be a miniature giant space hamster caster <laughs> perfect yeah i i'm mixed on it i i for one really really like it like i do like the concept of uh of Spelljammer, and i am excited to get the opportunity to play in it at some point um uh i am in agreement that i i i don't, I don't mind the price of the Spelljammer up front because it kind of just depends on what campaign you're in i know for uh, games that I've run in, 20,000 gold pieces is a ludicrous amount that I probably won't ever get. Um, uh, so it really just kind of depends on what game. Some DMs are more stingy about gold than others. Um, but uh, I feel like there could have been better ways to offset it. Like, make mending not as attractive as an option <laughs> as just repairing it and make their docking fees and rebuilding fees and all that stuff. I will say... Some of my bigger disappointment of Spelljammer is just how short it is. Like, the book itself is very short, and it's just like, here's this, here's how it works in spells, here's, here's some character creation options, here's how it works in uh, Wild Space and in Astral Sea, and here's a, a, a bunch of uh, Spelljammer ships, and here's the Rock of Brawl. Have fun. Uh, yeah. I wanted more. Figure it I out. Wanted, <laughs> yeah. Uh, with something as as big as Spelljammer, like it's a whole other, it, it's in a different genre than regular D anD. d You need at least a few subclasses. Uh, definitely some some other equipment. I think they have like two or three new items, two new spells. Like I, I don't know, it just didn't. <laughs> it felt kind of underwhelming to me. Like especially like they say gift, like they give gift like all these gun based abilities but then they don't add any guns okay cool and we're still using catapults and ballista all right i mean i get that we're essentially flying pirate ships in space but at least give us the option to have cooler weapons that we could get for our spell jammer like my favorite one of my favorite weapons is the gif cannon they have a cannon that they can use and it's really cool yeah. i wanted more of that stuff 
Um, and while the Rock of Brawl is very good and it goes into depths of stuff like that, I also just wanted more cool locations um, for Spelljammer. I'm sure that they go into some cool locations in the adventure, but it still would have been no. It, it's <laughs> literally oh, okay. No, no spoilers though. <laughs> they hit on Rock of Brawl. Uh, there are some other minor locations, but uh, Rock of Brawl does feature centrally to the plot of the adventure. Um, That's very they, disappointing. Yeah, they don't really flesh out any other places. Like, they, they tease us with some cool stuff, like, oh, there's dead gods that Githyanki have carved into, like, uh, it, it, into places to live. Like, that sounds cool. That sounds like nowhere from Guardians of the Galaxy. Just, just expand on some of those locations. That's all I wanted. <laughs> I'm looking forward to the really awesome DMs Guild content that is going to come out, though. For yeah. sure. Oh, it's already There's no out. way it doesn't. Okay. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. All right. If you enjoy the show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and rate us on Spotify or your favorite podcast app. It's a quick, free way to support the podcast and helps us to reach you new listeners. You can find links in the show notes. You'll find affiliate links for source books and other materials linked in the show notes as well as on rpgbat.net. Following these links helps us to make the show happen every week. In my headcanon, all GIFs sound like that. God, I hate it. (laughs) (laughs) Except for the GIF that wear monocles. They sound like British dandies.